0: What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to episode 141 of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we educate, motivate, inspire, and transform business owners and entrepreneurs into success. That is what we do. We help folks launch, grow, and maximize. Megan McGee is co-founder of X-Fabula, X-Fabula strengthens community bonds through the art of storytelling. X-Fabula is committed to diversity and hosts events throughout the city of Milwaukee, from Bronzeville to Bayview and Westtown to Sherman Park. All right, let's dig in. All right, Megan, can I get an oh yeah?
1: Oh yeah.
0: Perfect, perfect. So, first of all, what I always like to do every single week is to thank you for taking the time out to share your experience and knowledge with the enterprisers. I understand that there are about a million things that you could be doing right now, but you're here with us. So, thank you.
1: Oh, my pleasure.
0: The very next thing I like to do is to ask you to tell us about yourself. Now, when I say that, feel free to go. All the way back to when Megan first began, <laughs> or you could start more current day. Tell Ooh. us about yourself.
1: Okay. Um, well, that, that does bring up a story. So, uh, I, let's see, when I was probably three months old, I was small enough that uh, one of my aunts was going to be playing Mary in the Christmas pageant, and they wanted me to be baby Jesus. Now, even though I was a girl, you know, I I think even from that young age, I was going, who says, who says a girl can't play Jesus? And so I, I did at three, three months old, uh, agree to the role. Um, and I think ever since you can say I've been, I've been learning and questioning and breaking norms along the way and telling lots of stories as I go. Um, I grew up in Oshkosh, which is a, a smaller town than Milwaukee where I now live. and. Um, I think I think stories were a thing I was drawn to. I was a huge reader as a child. But I think the thing that really like kind of blew my mind was when I started learning about culture. I studied Spanish in high school. And when I got to the point that I could actually read in Spanish and learn about characters like Frida Kahlo, I started going, oh, wait a sec, there's more than one way to do things. And, you know, as a white lady growing up in in a not very large, not very diverse town, all of a sudden I started realizing, wow, the world is full of complex people with complex stories. And that's kind of driven a lot of my work since then.
0: Got it. Now, let's um, let's backtrack a little bit and um, get to know you a little bit better. What do you um, what's your favorite thing to do?
1: Um, I would say play games and I mean games as in, you know, I, I enjoy board games and whatnot, but I guess I enjoy finding, uh, finding the playful things in life. Um, I have a 18 month old and so sometimes it's just fun to try different things and and see how they go horribly wrong. So even if I'm, even if I'm just washing dishes or something, can we turn it into a game where she's helping me or playing in the water. Um, if I'm teaching, uh, I, I've worked in the past as a Spanish teacher and, you know, I can remember trying to come up with fun ways for students to play games, to work on even little boring things like helping each other, you know, prepare for a test. So yeah, finding, finding different ways to incorporate games into life and and maintain that sense of play, even when we're doing like the serious work of being adults. (laughs)
0: that we could probably do a whole show on just that the serious work of being an adult oh Um, yeah i'll raise my hand can i go back to not having all the stuff (laughs) you
1: know sometimes yeah i i think it's important for us to carve out time to play and to be creative um i'm actually in a sketch comedy group and uh it's really lovely to just you know people say how do you have time to be part of that to get together to do the writing to do the you know, the, the directing and and acting and all that. And I say, you know, I really, I really need it and making it a priority to have that creative space for myself. I do think makes me better at all the other things I do in life. Um, so yeah, sometimes we got to like really fight to have those spaces for ourselves.
0: Got it. Now I I have a feeling, I know the answer to this question, but I have to ask it for the enterprisers so that they can, um, enjoy the answer as much as I do. What's your superpower?
1: Um uh let's say uh being able to admit what I am not good at, um, being able to take feedback and learn from it. Um I I think for a lot of my life I wouldn't have thought that was a superpower. But I've realized over time there are a lot of people that are horrible at getting feedback. And I'm I'm not gonna say I'm like perfect at it, but I do think over over the years I've got to the point where I can understand feedback. When somebody gives you feedback, it really is a gift. They don't they don't need to be telling you this thing, and they're giving you an opportunity to learn. And so, I, yeah, I think over time my ability to like accept feedback and and even um, request it and demand it has kind of become an, a unique superpower.
0: Got it. Now, how does that um, allow you to help other people?
1: Well. I think, um, you know, one thing I say all the time to my coworkers, like Fabula, I'm always saying people are complicated. And sometimes I'm saying it because we're disappointed, um, something didn't go as planned. But the reality is, people's lives are really complicated, and people have barriers to, you know, a, a lot of people have good intentions. And then when it comes down to it, are they able to show up for the thing they said they were going to? Sometimes life gets in the way. So whenever things go wrong, if I can look at it and try to say, the reality is people are complicated, what can we learn from this? Is there anything we can do differently in the future? It just allows us to make our services you know, more accommodating, more accessible. And yeah, sometimes there are barriers where we can't figure out a solution right away, but it's still good to keep it in mind just to continue to learn, like, what are the limitations people face and how can we flex and adjust?
0: got it. What um how, what's your approach to overcoming challenges?
1: Um well, I think it's maybe incremental. Um I will say, you know, when X Fabula first started, we were holding storytelling events and we kind of just put on our first event and you know, we we did the best we could and then we we got feedback from people that attended and they they said we love this are you going to do another one we're like yes and but they would give us feedback they'd say things like oh the sound quality could have been better or this location uh didn't have parking or you know whatever they would say we would uh kind of address it and no we didn't go from that first show to our 10th season you know i mean it took 10 years it took 10 years to get to this point but by continually improving by assuming that there's always the opportunity to improvement to improve things um even this season we decided uh we got some feedback from people so at our story slams um audience members get to vote for an audience favorite but we'd heard from some people that they didn't want to tell a true personal story because they were a little afraid that they would feel judged and so we said okay let's uh Let's, let's just try having some non-competitive slams, some slams where there's no voting whatsoever. There's just no way that anyone is going to feel judged. So we, we tried it, and we've got good feedback so far. It's probably an idea we'll keep. Um, there are other things we've tried, though, that we haven't necessarily kept. Um, I thought I'd gotten the feedback that maybe we wanted more time to connect with each other, so we thought we'd make our intermissions longer. Uh, jury's still out on that. Um, maybe they don't need to be 10 minutes. People are like, well, let's just get back to the show. So how do I deal with challenges? I think just knowing that there will always be more challenges and that you have to experiment a little bit. And sometimes, you know, failure is a strong word, but trying something and then having it not work out, like that's okay. That failure, that's part of the creative process. Little by little though, over the years, we've, we've improved a lot of things because we've listened to feedback and then experimented.
0: Got it. Now, if you had to give one or two, what would be your keys to success?
1: Huh. I guess uh, just because, you know, because because people are complicated, I would say, you know, success is going to be different for every person. Um, but I, for me personally, um, I found that questioning assumptions is always a good idea. It can be really easy once you start doing something to not change, to just kind of get stuck in a pattern. Um, and especially because at X Fabula, I'm one of the I'm one of the co-founders. I've been around since the beginning, so it, it can be really easy to get stuck in your way. You've heard of like organizations that have like founder syndrome, where maybe the founder is just you know the the business or the the organization is kind of their baby, and they. They can't bear for anyone else to change things. They're just very nostalgic. Um, I try to I try to watch out for that sort of thing. And and if somebody says, "Why do we do this?" Not just tell them the reason why I think we should continue doing it, but say, "Well, I don't know. Why do we do this?" That- do you, have, did you do you find yourself doing that sort of thing in your work?
0: Um, yes and no. I think for me the, the difference is being a podcaster by, by nature, we're crea- mm-hmm. I'm crea- I'm a creative. So yeah. changing, I, I was just saying, I was recording my, um, my demo for another podcast that I'm launching. And in, in the, as I'm talking, I'm, I'm telling people, hey, you know, one of the things that I, that I am is a storyteller. And yeah. as a storyteller, you know whether it's music, whether it's podcasting, whether it's telling the story of how um, we can help you tell your story, it yeah. you you have to be flexible and willing to change. Um, otherwise, uh, the story can't can't resonate the way it 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 could if you're uh, continually adapting to the changing environment, right? Um, yeah. And one of, one of the, the things that I hate, 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 hate is for people to say, because we've always done it that way. It's like, right. well, you've been doing it wrong for a long time. Yeah. Then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And every time you talk to someone new, like there's an opportunity to get more information, right? And, and, and refine your practices. Um, even, even, even when, we, I don't know, like we talk a lot about best practices. Like I don't always for anytime you make a rule, there's always some some exception to it, right? Yep. Uh, but best practices, best practices are nice because it's kind of saying, okay, what's the collective knowledge we've gotten over time? But even those, there's still always room to refine.
0: Yeah, and I, I think for me, perspective is is never permanent. You oh, know, right. I don't see the world the same today as I did 20 years ago. It would be sad if I did, you know, so, you know, even even as you mentioned with best practices, best practices in 1974 are probably not the same best practices in 2019.
1: Oh, my gosh. I think I think especially with stories, you can definitely see that sort of thing. I mean, so X has done some projects that have been specifically about using stories to address, you know, different different issues in society including things like race and having people tell stories about race. I can say personally, like as somebody that grew up in Oshkosh with not a real good understanding of even like how race shapes people's lives, my, my, my perspectives today are so, so much more complex than in Oshkosh when to be frank, I was kind of a, like, I don't think I was like, I didn't see color, but I kind of, I think I thought racism was like, saying the n-word you know mm-hmm. i thought it was like i i like lavar burton so i can't be racist right <laughs> <laughs> now I, there's just so many more layers to it and i do think it's because of people's stories that i've been able to gather a lot of that learning um and so you know a lot of what we're trying to do then is use stories so that other people can also have that continuous learning and it's, it's really powerful to look back and think it wasn't that long ago that you didn't have the same sort of vulnerability. You didn't have um, like, for example, you didn't have LGBT folks living. So out and openly, you didn't have men talking about uh, mental health. All all these things are really important.
0: Right. So, so kind of segue from from talking about how perspective changes and how um, sharing other people's uh, perspectives can help give you um, a well-rounded perspective in Segway that into how you started um Fabula, where it was, where it is, and where it's going,
1: sure, so uh it started way back in two thousand and nine It was originally a totally grassroots effort, and it really happened because there were five five people we were very loosely connected. We did not all know each other directly, but it was you know always friends of friends and so forth, and we kept having conversations about how. We'd been to storytelling programs in other cities, and we really thought Milwaukee should have some sort of storytelling programming. Uh, By storytelling, I'm talking true personal stories, real stuff that happened, not fiction, not just for children, but adults talking about our messy, messy lives. (laughs) And I think after probably, who knows, dozens of conversations between pairs of people, we kept saying one thing. Milwaukee should have this. Someone should start it. Someone should start this. And at some point, a common friend said, well, you keep talking about starting this. Maybe you should be the one to start it. It's funny that, you know, sometimes people don't realize that you can be the one to start it. I guess I needed that outside invite before I I thought, well, maybe I could just put on this event. So, um, you know, we started having these story slams. We're holding them at bars, at theaters, and we're starting to get, you know, the first event had 60 people. The second event had like 100. The third had like 150. And we're looking for bigger and bigger spaces. We we, we clearly had kind of tapped into a community need. So, you know, we kept having events. But really for the first kind of four or five years that we existed, that was all we did. It was mostly just those those monthly story slams. And I think really the point where XFABULA was taking off was because of a bit of a go big or go home moment. Um, We had a bunch of volunteers running it. People were burning out because we were asking a lot of them. And I kind of had this moment where I was like, you know what? I think XFABULA could do a whole lot more for the city if we had some staff. And at that point, I started you know, having conversations like, what would it look like if I were to leave my day job and, 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 and start working full time here? How could we build out revenue streams to do that? What would, what would be able to accomplish with that extra capacity? And since then, you know, once I came on full time, it's kind of grown incrementally since then. Now we're up to, I have three other employees. I have a team of like 12 storytelling coaches. Um, we went from, you know, uh, a shoebox full of cash up to now being like an organization with a budget of around $200,000. So, and we're, you know, we're, and we're employing local artists. So, you know, legit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> gotcha. Now, take us to that, that transition, because I, I, there are a lot of people right now that might be listening to this really oh. from, from anywhere in the world. And they're struggling with that moment of, of transitioning over from their day job to uh, full-time um, business. What advice or keys would you give them um, for making that transition?
1: Well, in some ways, if I'm honest, um, some of it was just sweat equity that when, when we, when we made that first change, honestly, I was working an unhealthy number of hours. um, And so sometimes it's just being honest. Like, if you want to grow, you're gonna need to be able to invest that that time. Um, I think though that there are probably people out there who could do things smarter than me. I have a background in literature and in Spanish, and I didn't know a whole lot about business. Now looking back, I would say in those early years, it probably would have been smart to ask myself a certain number of questions earlier, like. In those, in those first years, we started doing more collaborations with other community groups. And I, I know for a fact, looking back, we weren't charging enough. We weren't really charging enough to cover our costs. So I think for somebody that's trying to make that leap, it would be a really good idea to kind of define what are the products you're going to offer and think about what, what does it really take to offer that product? What, how many hours does it really take to do the work and then charge accordingly? We probably could have. We probably could have grown and become more sustainable, qu- more quickly, if I would have known those kind of business concepts. Um, and that's where you know, I don't know everything, but i I probably should have. I probably should have sought out that knowledge. Oh, hindsight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> got it. Got it. No, that's that's really really good advice because you're right. A lot of times people don't know how much um, it costs to provide. The, the product or the service and they end up charging too not enough and as to your point they don't grow fast enough or they don't grow at all because they're not they're not pricing it accordingly
1: yeah and it, you know you have to you have to you have to charge what it takes to do the work and know that your service is valuable um i think there are other things too like Early on, I wasn't really, I don't have a marketing background, so I wasn't thinking about things like, I should have been getting testimonials from folks. I wasn't really thinking about that. But I think that now that's become a regular practice for us. Nothing's more powerful than someone you've worked with saying saying how great you are.
0: <laughs> Got it. Now, so tell us um, a little bit more about what um, Fabula does and what you guys have to offer.
1: Sure. So we're a nonprofit and our mission is strengthening community bonds through the art of storytelling. Um, but so what that looks like is we put on storytelling workshops and story slams. They're all events that, that create opportunities for people to listen to each other and spaces for people to be brave. Um, in the workshops, we, we address all the different reasons that people might not be effective storytellers. I mean, and and you in your work, you tell tons of stories. But I imagine, do you have any people in your life who, um, I don't know, maybe Thanksgiving, they start telling a story and it goes on and it goes on, and you're like, "What is the point?" Just kind of <laughs> rambling like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like every family has somebody like that, and the sad thing is, in those situations, that person isn't really being listened to, right? Because everyone just wants them to wrap it up. Well. We help people to become more effective tellers so that they can have that experience of being heard, so that they can, you know, use their story however they want. It could be advocacy, it could be convincing people of something, it could be education, or a lot of times telling a story is even just a healing process. Having that opportunity for other people to say, yeah, like we're bearing witness to whatever to whatever you're you're talking about. We're acknowledging that happened. So at our events, then, a lot of our events will feel like entertainment, but we also have a lot of community collaborations where we're using storytelling for other purposes. Um, this past summer, we were working with a company, we were working with their marketing department, and they were doing a kind of an off-site retreat. And they were able to use the storytelling stuff that we were working with them on. They were able to use all that to think about how they lay out their catalog. They were using it in um, writing some some ads for TV. So our whole process became just more tools for them to use in marketing. Um, we've also done it where we've helped people look at leadership. How can you use stories as a leader? So it's all it's all different kinds of applied arts, I would say. Uh, but it can it can go for business, for schools, for nonprofits, and even just for individuals. You know, like it. People giving toasts at weddings—all those things—they all come back to personal stories.
0: Awesome! That's a fantastic um, business model. I—I um, I was telling you before we uh, hit record, I, I went to one of your uh, events and I was really, really impressed with what you get, what you guys are doing. So it's really, really cool.
1: Oh, thank you! It's been—it's we've been lucky because there's been a lot of community members whose whose input has shaped it over the time to- over the last years. Um, and you know, when you listen to, if people tell you what they need and you listen to them, that can become a real great way to figure out what your offering is going to be.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So, as we kind of wrap up this uh, conversation, Megan, uh, if you had to give the enterprisers an actionable tip to improve their businesses or lives today, what would that be?
1: Um, I would say think about, think about, why people might be afraid. Um, Storytelling is often about vulnerability. And if you can think about what are your customers afraid of, what are their fears? If you can draw them out, um, sometimes you can get really great information. And often the best way to make someone else get real with you is for you to first get vulnerable with them. It might sound counterintuitive, like you want to be seen as the expert. And you are the expert. But sometimes, like if if I tell you um, if I tell you about a mistake I made and how I learned from it, or I even share details about who I am as a person, you know, about my family, about even just silly things that happened to me during the day. Sometimes, if I share first, it's going to make the other person more likely to share because they're going to feel more connected, more able to be vulnerable if I'm the one that takes the first risk. Does that make any sense?
0: Makes perfect sense. And that is awesome advice. So if people want to learn even more about X Fabula, you and what you guys do, and they, and, or they want to connect with you, how can they do that?
1: For sure. Um, our website is xfabula.org. And it's X Fabula. It's x Fabula um, is actually Latin for from stories. So that's kind of where that comes from. Website's the best way to find out what we're up to, see what kind of projects we're working on. And you can find me on there as well. We're also on all the socials. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn.
0: That's pretty cool because I did not know that that's what X Fabulous stood for. So
1: <laughs> yeah, see, everything's got a story.
0: <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Megan, for um, for stopping by and sharing with us.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Uh, looking forward to hearing some of your stories on stage sometime.
0: I will have to, I'll have to do that. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thanks. thanks. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email.